Matt Singer is the editor and film critic of ScreenCrush.com and author of the book Marvel's Spider-Man, From Amazing to Spectacular. His new book dives into the history of television's most famous movie critics. It's called Opposable Thumbs, How Siskel and Ebert Changed Movies Forever. Matt, I was so excited when I heard about your new book. I grew up watching At the Movies with Siskel and Ebert. I think I learned a lot about movies just from watching that show. The Siskel and Ebert duo ended in 1999 with the death of Gene Siskel. So it was a really nice surprise to see a new book out about them after all these years. What inspired you to write this book now? What inspired the book now was... You know, um, I've written a couple of the things and I wanted to do something. And this is a subject that is very near and dear to my heart. You know, like you, I did. I also grew up watching this show um, obsessively, loving this show, really inspired me to do everything and anything that I've done in the world of, you know, film and criticism and writing. Now, I'm hoping that a lot of people still remember the, th- these two um, with their with their movie reviews and their banter and uh, on the TV show and their, of course, trademark thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, Myself, not knowing much about the history between Siskel and Ebert from before the show, it was really fun to learn that they knew each other before starting the show and that they were competitors of sorts. Can you give us a little history of what their relationship was like prior to the show? Yeah, before the show, they knew each other for about six years. The show starts in 1975. Siskel starts as the film critic at the, uh, uh, excuse me, Ebert starts as the film critic at the Sun-Times in 67. Siskel starts in 69. So just a couple of years later, but from 69 to 75, theoretically, they are uh, colleagues, or at least they work in the same field in the same city in Chicago. Um, But according to Roger Ebert, during that time, they barely speak a word to one another because they consider each other, you know, not only competitors, but the way they describe it would talk about it, you know, almost like mortal enemies, like uh, one would be the Yankees, one would be the Red Sox. It was their job to beat the other at everything and anything, uh, primarily in the world of film criticism. And I guess, I, you know, having worked in, in film and journalism and criticism for a long time, I've seen people get competitive, but I've never seen anyone be like, it's my job to beat the writer at this website or this newspaper. Um, maybe some of that was it was a different era and newspapers, especially in Chicago. You know, they, this was the competition between them really was ferocious. So before they started the show, they yeah, they they certainly knew each other, but didn't like each other. And, um, you know, uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that when Ebert before the show started, you know, went to Hollywood briefly and wrote a movie that uh, when the movie came out, Siskel gave it a brutal pan and did not mention Ebert by name, but referred to the screen like the neophyte screenwriter of this movie beyond the Valley of the Dolls as saying like, he was essentially, you know, it, it was a, a director he liked, Russ Meyer, and blamed the, the fact that he didn't like this particular movie on the neophyte screenwriter, which was Ebert. So that was the background before they started the show. Uh, and then you can only imagine what happened from there when these two guys who are so competitive, don't get along, now have to work together every single week to try to make a, a collaborative television show. Didn't didn't go well at first. 
it seems as if this fierce competition between them really helped them rise to the occasion in making some really compelling television. In terms of just the show where they were pitted against one another, it absolutely made them better. You know, like they would always insist that they didn't need the other to do their jobs as film critics. And, you know, up until Siskel and Ebert, film criticism was a a solitary act. It was a person writing or there, you know, there was occasional um, TV film critics before them. One person looking into a camera and saying, you know, this week, this is coming out. It's a good movie. It stars such and such. It's opening at this theater. I liked it. You know, back to you, Roger, or back to you, Joan, or whoever the newscaster was. You know, that was that was what TV film criticism looked like before the show. So their one of their big innovations was making this former monologue into a dialogue. And I think absolutely the fact that they were so competitive absolutely made them um the 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 best possible hosts for the show because they refused to budge on anything and both wanted to win every argument and neither refused to admit that they lost an argument and so what followed for the next 20 plus years was this ongoing battle this very entertaining sometimes very intellectual sometimes very silly and childish discussion of all these movies and um, the fact that they always wanted to beat the other, that energy just kind of permeated through the show and was one of the reasons it was so much fun to watch. This is what we're reading on KAXE, KBXE. We're talking with writer Matt Singer. His new book is Opposable Thumbs, How Siskel and Ebert Changed Movies Forever. Interestingly, in your book, you point out that neither uh, Ebert nor Siskel took film classes in college, which is interesting. That is true. Well, they were not trained, quote unquote, trained film critics. They were film lovers from childhood, but they kind of learned on the job. You know, they didn't have a Siskel and Ebert that they watched. They didn't set out as kids, pathetic, dorky, nerdy kids to become film critics. (laughs) They were interested in journalism and they got jobs at the Sun-Times and the Tribune. And then Ebert, I mean, was like literally handed the film critic job. He did not, you know, he didn't really seek it out. He he was working at the Sun-Times basically to fund his getting his PhD and the film critic retired. And um, a publicist in Chicago said, you know, because he had written a couple of like features about movies while he was working at the Sun-Times and the publicist for I believe Warner Brothers in Chicago really liked what he had written and told his the editor at the Sun Times you should give this guy the job, and they did. And Siskel was you know he wanted it a little more. He was working as a reporter in the neighborhood news section at the Tribune, and in that case the film critic wasn't retiring. They they basically were taking a sabbatical, and the plan at the time was they were going to just bring in or just have a bunch of people, whoever was around and available, you do the reviews this week, you know, no set critic. And when the the critic uh, Clifford Terry came back from his sabbatical, he was going to get his job back was the original plan. And Siskel thought, well, I, I want that job and I can do that job. And so he wrote a letter to the, the guy, the editor who was in charge of the reviews saying, your idea is not good. What you should do is hire one person to do the job and it should be me. And he wrote this letter and he 
put it under the editor's door and thought, okay, well, I tried. And the next day he came in and there was a meeting called and he showed up and they said, all right, you got the job. <laughs> and um, it sounds very fanciful, but years later, someone went in his personnel file in the Tribune uh, and found the letter. They had saved the letter and stuck it in his personnel file. So that is that is a true story. How do you think Siskel and Ebert would have fared as movie critics today? This is an interesting question, and it is one that I sort of grappled with. Like, what would what would what would they be doing today? What would they, you know, because the show, you know, Siskel passed away in 1999, and the show continued on without him with other hosts for a while. And he was a young man when he passed away. It was really tragic. So if 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 he if both of them were still alive, would would the show still be on the air? I don't know. I tend to be skeptical personally that that the show would be on the air still just because of the changes in the in the television landscape. But again, we're talking right now. We're having this wonderful conversation over the magic of of Zoom and computers. Can you imagine what those guys could have done if they didn't even have to go to a TV studio to record their show? If they could have been at their offices at the Sun-Times and the Tribune and they could have said, oh, did you see this big kerfuffle that's going on online did you see what martin scorsese said about this that let's jump on zoom and let's record a discussion about it and then we could put it on our website or we could make it a podcast or we could put it on social media um and and roger was certainly very savvy about the internet and technology he was always the the early adopter of whatever the new thing was he loved the internet he loved his personal computers and laptops Gene, maybe not quite as much, but, you know, I feel like if the two of them were still around, I mean, the Siskel and Ebert podcast alone, I mean, it would have been the ultimate because on the show, as great as it was, as much as I loved it, they were limited by the constraints of a, a 22 minute show or in the beginning, 28 minute, you know, and that's for four movies or five movies. And nowadays, a podcast about a movie is one movie for I listen to some movie podcasts where it's one movie for three hours <laughs> and the film is 90 minutes. So to imagine what Gene and Roger could have done with that format where they could have talked and argued and debated and intellectualized for as long as they wanted. I, I, it's just it's like it's so upsetting that we never got to experience that. That alone would have been uh, it would have been incredible. So that's yeah. yeah, it's a bummer that it didn't happen. Yeah. I'd smash that subscribe button. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just to hear them saying smash that subscribe button. That would have been great to hear Gene Siskel right. say smash that subscribe right. button. I would, have, I would have loved to have heard that. <laughs> That's Matt Singer, author of Opposable Thumbs, How Siskel and Ebert Changed Movies Forever. I personally really enjoyed this book. It's highly entertaining with lots of interesting stories about the film critic duo. Siskel and Ebert's love of movies really shines through and it leaves you with an appreciation for how they helped us love and understand movies in turn. It's what we're reading. I'm Tammy Bobrowski. Bobrowski.